Are you looking for a Christ-centered, cross-focused church? Check out the new Find a Church page at our website, issuesetc.org. Click Find a Church. Are you tired of worship that's more about self-help than the Savior, the Christian rather than the Christ, and the Christ in you instead of Christ for you? It's not about you. It's about Jesus for you. Find a church near you. Issuesetc.org. Click Find a Church. Five million copies of The Lost Symbol hit stores today, along with huge expectations this book will be the year's bestseller. The topic is so interesting and so mind-boggling and so complex that I needed a lot of extra time to research it and understand it to the point that I could work it into the story. The story is an action-packed 600-page thriller that takes place over 12 hours. Harvard symbologist Robert Langdon is back, introducing readers to jaw-dropping science, secret Freemason rituals, and cracking codes along the way. Well, that was the Today Show, Matt Lauer and Dan Brown, early today, talking about Dan Brown's newest novel, already expected by the publisher to be a runaway bestseller, The Lost Symbol. They've printed literally printed 5 million copies, expecting to sell every last one of them, plus more. We're going to talk about Dan Brown's new novel, The Lost Symbol, with Dr. Ben Witherington for the remainder of this hour of Issues Etc. Talking about Dan Brown's worldview and an early review of at least the opening chapters of The Lost Symbol. It's Tuesday afternoon, September the 15th. Our call-in number, one eight seven seven six two three my ie 877-623-6943. Our in-studio email address... Email us, talkback, at issuesetc.org, or Twitter us, at issuesetc. Dr. Ben Witherington is professor of New Testament for doctoral studies at Asbury Theological Seminary in Wilmore, Kentucky. He's author of the book, The Gospel Code, Novel Claims About Jesus, Mary Magdalene, and Da Vinci, and two historical fiction books called The Lazarus Effect and Roman Numerals. Dr. Witherington, welcome back. Good to be with you. How would you describe Dan Brown, now famous best-selling novelist of Da Vinci Code fame, and now with his latest, The Lost Symbol? How would you describe his worldview? Well, I would say that it is synthetic and syncretistic. And what I mean by that is that when it comes to the subject of the spiritual or religious, um, he's very much of a mind that is in fact, represented reasonably well in the famous online Zeitgeist movie. And what that mindset is, is that um, all religions are one, or at least they're all pointing to the same God. And therefore, what we do is we take uh, elements from a variety of different ones and synthesize them together and uh, and create what is known as syncretism, a sort of blended together religion. Now, the subject of Freemasonry is perfect for this kind of worldview because that's exactly what goes on in Masonic religion. It it takes, for example, in its burial rituals, it takes some elements from the Egyptian Book of the Dead and ceremonies having to do with the dead there, some elements from Christianity, some elements from Greco-Roman belief in the immortality of the soul, and so on, and mixes them all together into a new whole. So uh, the subject matter of the Masons and Masonry and its secret rites and all of that just perfect for the kind of worldview that Dan Brown himself seems to espouse. 
You've read uh, the first few chapters of The Lost Symbol, his latest novel. How does it compare so far with The Da Vinci Code? Well, I, what I would say is it's it's really pretty much the same. The M.O. is short, quick chapters, uh, secrets that will be promised to be revealed at some later time in the novel, uh, malevolent bad guys that are really appalling, and then, of course, our hero, Robert Langdon, the professor of symbology at Harvard. So, you know, there are some of the same elements. Now, I have to say, of course, that this is not going to create the same kind of stir uh, in the Roman Catholic Church or even the Protestant Church that uh, either angels or de- and demons or the Da Vinci Code did for the simple reason that if he's critiquing anything here, he's basically critiquing Masonic rituals and secrets and that sort of stuff. And, in fact, what he says in his interview this morning with Matt Lauer was that, uh, you know, this was more of an appreciation of uh, masonry and their synthetic mindset about all religions being one and they're all pointing to the same thing and that sort of stuff. So uh, in some ways I think this is more of an appreciation than it is a degradation and it's not an accident that the real bad guy in this new novel, The Lost Symbol, Malak, is a person who has infiltrated the Masonic Order and even gotten to their highest uh, level, the 33rd Order, in order to uh, decode their secrets and find the lost symbol and indeed some kind of lost secret truth, which is what this particular novel is all about. Here's a little bit from Dan Brown himself from today's Today Show on NBC with Matt Lauer on that very subject. That always baffled me a little bit about the, uh, the people who dissected your last book. And they went and said, well, that's factually not true. And, and my response was always, it's fiction. If you want something else, go to the other section of the bookstore. Sure. Does it baffle you when you hear that? Let's be honest. If, if, if The Da Vinci Code had sold 10,000 copies, right. uh, nobody would have a problem with it. There is something that comes along with success, as I'm sure you know, that you have people who, who are gunning for you, who want to say, well, that's, that's not worthy. Why is everybody enjoying that? And uh, it just comes with the territory. Dr. Witherington, you spent a lot of time critiquing and perhaps even dissecting uh, the novels of Dan Brown and his worldview. Do a little bit more of that this afternoon. Is it simply just a matter of going after someone because they've had runaway success in the publishing industry? No, it certainly isn't. It certainly wasn't in my case. Um, When you purport to give us historical fiction as opposed to hysterical fiction, which is closer to what you get in Dan Brown's earlier novels, at least, then you are held to a certain standard of accuracy in regard to the facts that you are purporting to report in this novel, uh, as opposed to the fiction, uh, pure fiction in the novel. When you have this blending of fiction and fact, and you make a huge claim at the beginning of the novel that that's what you're doing, and we again have that claim with this new book, The New Lost Symbol, uh, uh, the new novel, The Lost Symbol, there is a fact page right at the beginning of the novel saying that everything they're saying about the secret Masonic rituals and the architecture and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, is fact. Well, you know, it's disingenuous to say, well, this is all just carping because I was successful. 
Because, in fact, you know, when you're writing like, say, James Michener does or others uh, who meticulously research a historical subject and then create fictional characters to talk about that subject, then you're still um, required to meet a certain standard of accuracy about at least the facts that you're reporting, whatever you may want to add in the fictional characters or part of the novel. So uh, it's one thing to talk about pure fiction. It's a whole other ballgame to talk about historical fiction and make claims about fact. And uh, it's important, therefore, to realize that Dan Brown is not let off the hook simply by saying, what's the big whoop? It's all fiction, (laughs) because it's not. Well, you probably didn't see the film. I don't know. I'm a Quentin Tarantino fan. He made a film recently in Glorious Bastards. Right. And it's a war-era movie, and he, he was up front with every pre, pre-release interview. He said, I disregard history when I make this movie, and nothing that – virtually nothing, uh, with the exception of the existence of certain characters, um, bears any resemblance to how the war really came out. So you go in knowing you're going to see a highly – uh, an intensely fictionalized view right. of history, and yet sure. Dan Brown seems to want to play fast and loose with that term history. He wants to say, oh, no, 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 I'm writing fiction, but yes, I'm a serious student of history as well. He does. Uh, he does. He, For example, in the interview this morning, if you watch all of the five segments of the interview that are on the MSNBC website, uh, he talks about all the meticulous research he did and the repeated trips he made to Washington to do this research and all the books that he read and this, that, and the other. So, you know, none of that would be necessary if you're going to make up a fairy tale about masonry. Uh, well, so the truth of the matter is that he is trying to make some historical claims about the Freemasons and uh, use that as a sort of platform for this syncretistic worldview that he seems to be espousing. And you could even see that in his house if you actually watched Matt Lauer this morning. With uh, He interviewed Dan Brown in his home. Well, here's this incredible study. And what you have in this study is a variety of religious symbols, some of the props from his various movies, and et cetera. It's a big gumbo of stuff, you know, all put together neatly along parallel shelves. So even his house represents his mental approach and the kind of ethos he's trying to create in his novels. Joe is listening in West Bend, Wisconsin. We'll take his call right before our break. Joe, welcome. Hey, Todd, and and uh, it's been an interesting discussion. It's it seems to me, if I remember correctly, when he interviewed with Matt Lauer with the Da Vinci Code, uh, he was asked what would he change in the book to change it from a fiction book to a a nonfiction book, and he said absolutely nothing. Mm-hmm. And that's what caused the stir. I don't have a problem with him putting some historical facts in a fiction book. I have a problem when he claims that that the entire book is nonfiction when it's when it's full of factual errors. Uh, that, right, that and there are over 140 some factual errors in the Da Vinci Code. I I, I agree with you 100 percent on that, and and that's why the other two books haven't sold or or even movies been attended as highly as the first one that he plugged with a lie, and and nor is the reason the church has spoken out. But I agree with you also that, that the syncretistic worldview of all religions is the same. It's crept into many denominations. Uh, and we can, that's a different topic for a different day, I guess. Well, Joe, thank you very much. We'll get uh, Dr. Withington's full response to Joe's call on the other side of this break. We're talking about Dan Brown's new novel, The Lost Symbol, and 
the worldview of its author, Dan Brown. Dr. Ben Witherington is our guest, professor of New Testament for doctoral studies at Asbury Theological Seminary in Wilmore, Kentucky. He's author of the book, The Gospel Code, Novel Claims About Jesus, Mary Magdalene, and Da Vinci, and two historical fiction books of his own, The Lazarus Effect and Roman Numerals. I'm Todd Wilkin. A response to Joe and West Bend from Dr. Ben Witherington right after this. Would you like to support the worldwide outreach of Issues Etc. by making a regular, monthly, tax-deductible gift? We've made it easy for you to donate using automatic withdrawal. Simply fill out and mail the automatic billing authorization form under the donate page of our website, issuesetc.org. No more writing monthly checks or making monthly PayPal contributions. Issuesetc.org. Click donate and fill out and mail the automatic withdrawal form. Thanks for your support. Greetings from your friends at Zion Lutheran Church, Muscuta, Illinois, a proud supporter of Issues Etc. Zion Lutheran is a welcoming, family-friendly church that's firmly grounded on the unchanging truth of God's Word. We receive God's gifts of grace in a timeless, reverent way each Sunday morning at 10 o'clock. Zion Lutheran is located at 101 South Railway in Muscuta, Illinois. Zion Lutheran is a church home that's both faithful and friendly, and you'll be warmly welcomed. For more information, call 618-566-7345. Others talk. We have something to say. You're listening to Issues Etc. A surprising contributor to China's abortion rate. This is a special commentary from the Susan B. Anthony List, named for the suffragette who was proudly pro-life. Previously, we reported that the Chinese government revealed that 13 million abortions are performed there every year, but that experts believe the figure is at least 23 million. Those experts also agree that the Chinese government's one-child policy is the primary culprit behind China's high abortion rate. However, another revelation is that about 30% of the abortions in China are performed on unmarried women. The Chinese government strictly forbids single motherhood and compels pregnant unmarried women to undergo abortions. Tune in next time to find out how one group is trying to save the unborn in China. This is Marjorie Dannenfelser, president of the Susan B. Anthony List. To join us in our battle for life, visit our website at sba-list.org. We live in a world where different cultures are killing each other over whose version of God is accurate. And here you have an organization, a global organization, that is spiritual and yet will bring Muslims, Jews, Christians, and even just people who are confused about the religion, bring them together and say, look, we all agree that there's some good big thing out there, but we're not going to put a label on it. Let's worship together. The mystery is in their origins and in the fact that they have managed to remain pretty secret. That's Dan Brown, author of the, his newest, The Lost Symbol, talking about the Masonic Lodge. He has a great admiration for what Dr. Ben Witherington, our guest, has called the syncretistic nature of the Masonic Lodge, bringing all these religions together. Yeah, we all agree, at least, that there's something big and good out there. Let's worship it. Interesting. We're talking about Dan Brown's novel, The Lost Symbol. Dr. Ben Witherington is professor of New Testament for doctoral studies at Asbury Theological Seminary in Wilmore, Kentucky, and he's author of the book The Gospel Code, Novel Claims About Jesus, Mary Magdalene, and Da Vinci. He has two historical fiction novels himself, 
the Lazarus Effect, and Roman numerals. Before the break, Dr. Witherington, Joe noted that this syncretism is not only popular in the culture and with the fans of, of Dan Brown, who like to b- believe his version of history, um, it's also found its way into, into uh, churches as well. Your thoughts there? Well, I'm sure that's true. You know, I have seen it in various places and in various ways, and I'm sure that that's true. And it, this is not a surprise uh, when we are, are, are growing towards a, an increasingly global society, a global economic market, a global society. We have the Internet binding us all together across cultures in many different ways and places. So it's not a surprise that we see this in the church. The church reflects the culture in various ways and and uh, in, in some ways too accurately reflects the trends in the culture. The funny thing about the church is um, it's the last one to get on the trend bandwagon and uh, the last one to manifest the trend. And, and uh, long since when the culture's moved on to something else, the church thinks, well, this is the new great thing. And uh, so, unfortunately, it's true that the the church mirrors the culture. I think one of the problems that we are dealing with when we're dealing with Dan Brown is we live in a Jesus-haunted culture that's biblically illiterate. And as the culture becomes increasingly more biblically illiterate, and at the same time, uh, in many quarters, increasingly more hostile towards particularistic claims that Christians make, then what, what we are facing with Dan Brown is an articulation of a more synthetic worldview that they find congenial. And uh, and therefore, since they don't know what the Bible actually claims and says, they think, well, maybe the Bible actually does agree with if if we're just focusing on the main ideas. When you say synthetic worldview, are you using that technically? I mean, in terms, in a, as, in a philosophical sense, that is... Um, what our postmodern notion that we can—it's not entirely postmodern, but it certainly is—that we can take two apparently contradictory things like a belief in Jesus, a belief in Allah, or a belief in Jesus and uh, and Buddhism, something like that, and we can somehow force them together to create a comfortable synthesis between the two. Yeah, I think I think that's part of the deal. But the other part of the deal is that there is a profound view that nobody has the absolute truth. Everybody has, if you will, at best, an approximation of their truth or their opinion about the truth, and and the end result of that is uh, uh, that you know we we have relativism. There is no absolute truth, or if there is such an absolute truth, finite human minds can't know it. And what's behind all of that is a very inadequate theology or philosophy about revelation. Is there a God? who can clearly and perspicuously reveal himself to the world, both orally and in some written form, and then even in a personal incarnate form like Jesus. Is it possible that God could do that in such a way that human beings would realize that not all religions are created evil, equal, and uh, there is a, you know, the, the trend towards relativism does no justice to claims like, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Uh, and so, you know, I think part of the problem is that in our culture, we have a three-headed monster, what I call the unholy trinity. Pluralism, <laughs> in a bad sense. Relativism and universalism. 
there is no absolute truth, therefore there's probably a little bit of truth in all the world religions. Uh, if there is an absolute truth, we can't know it absolutely, so uh, relativism. And, uh, you know, why can't we all just get along? <laughs> so I, I think we're really looking at Dan Brown tapping into the ethos of that unholy trinity, if you will, and articulating it quite well in his synthetic way. One thing I found ironic listening to the interview with Matt Lauer this morning, uh, Dan Brown is, you know, has discovered the Masonic Lodge, something that most mainline religions, uh, as, as it reared its head both in Europe and in the United States, took a good look at and said, no, uh, not a Christian organization. He's, he's going to give this thing a new breath, a new life. Most Masonic lodges, I live in small-town America. Most of them are practically empty. You walk in, and it's basically you know, a place for guys to go drink beer and smoke cigarettes. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah, well, it, it, that's entirely possible that that's so. I mean, I, I have a little bit of an inside look at that because my grandfather was at the same time a deacon in the Southern Baptist Church and a very conservative Christian, and on the other hand, a 32nd Order Mason. So I learned a lot about this. And one of the things I learned about Masonry in terms of its history is it is a profoundly, despite all of its tendencies towards combining and synthesizing and wanting to affirm all kinds of different cultures and religious rites and all of that, one of the things about the history of Masonry is that it, at various times and in various ways it's a, been a profoundly racist organization, which doesn't sit very well with the can't we all just get along and blend our eyes together kind of notion. So, I mean, there are, there are some sides to the history of Freemasonry that are certainly not pretty, and not just the ones that have to do with syncretism. From whence does Dan Brown's uh, worldview come? Because he presents himself. You talked about that picture of him sitting in this um, marvelous library that he appears to have. Um, Dan Brown comes across as an expert in history and art and literature and religion and political science. He claims uh, deep and uh, broad... Uh, research for his novels. Many people might be surprised to learn that Dan Brown is a former high school English teacher before he started writing. Uh, yeah, that's exactly right. And and no, he's not an expert in any of these subjects. He's certainly a curious person, and as he says, you know, uh, what you need is a, a good level of curiosity into these subjects, and that propels you into the subject. Now, I am all for intellectual curiosity as opposed to obscurantism and sticking your head in the sand. I'm all for asking hard questions and studying hard and doing research about that. But the truth of the matter is that Dan Brown is, is certainly not an expert in any of these areas. He's a novel writer. He hasn't published monographs on any of these subjects. He doesn't lecture on any of these subjects. Uh, he doesn't subject his research to peer review of scholars in those different fields. He writes novels. And I have to tell you that a lot of the history that he has come up with in his previous novels are are riddled with inaccuracies. Inaccuracies not only of fact, but inaccuracies of interpretation as well. And, uh, you know, so I'm reading along and, and just uh, doing the fact check and Snopes.com kind of thing as I'm reading through this just to see where all of this goes. And here's the reason it matters. Okay, some people will say, lighten up, Ben. It's just fiction. Uh, this word just in. People in our culture are more likely to get their values from fiction and entertainment than they are from reading 
dry as dust history books or theological tomes. I mean, that's one of the reasons I've gone into novel writing myself, is because it dawned on me after a while, lay people are not reading huge theological tomes. So if I can squeeze some Bible theology and history into them sideways while they're enjoying a good thriller of a story, so much the better. That's why I wrote The Lazarus Effect and Roman numerals and subsequent novels that we're working on. I realized that Dan Brown was very shrewd. He knew how to reach his audience in such a way that he could influence them about things he really cares about through a novel. And uh, so it's disingenuous to say it's only fiction when fiction can be powerfully influential. It's Tuesday afternoon, September the 15th. What kind of questions or comments do you have about Dan Brown's newest novel just out today, The Lost Symbol, or his previous works, Angels and Demons and The Da Vinci Code? Our call in number 1-877-623-6943, 1-877-623-MYIE. Email us with questions or comments right here in the studio. We get them in real time. Talk back at issuesetc.org. Talk back at issuesetc.org. And if you're following us at Twitter, you can Twitter questions or comments to us at issuesetc, at issuesetc. Dr. Ben Witherington is our guest for another 10 minutes. On the other side of the break, he's professor of New Testament for doctoral studies at Asbury Theological Seminary in Wilmore, Kentucky, author of the book, The Gospel Code, Novel Claims About Jesus, Mary Magdalene, and Da Vinci, and two historical fiction books of his own, The Lazarus Effect and Roman Numerals. Tomorrow, we're going to talk about third century bishop and martyr Cyprian of Carthage. Dr. Thomas von Hegel will be our guest. When we come back, when I was listening to Dan Brown this morning, he talked about all of the meticulous research that he did. And then, of course, the novel has to do with uh, Robert Langdon, uh, who is a symbologist or something of that sort who also researches the real history of things, be it the church or, in this case, the Masonic Lodge. But in order to do it, he has to solve riddles, undo puzzles, crack codes. I don't know. They didn't teach me how to do that in history class. I didn't know you had to be able to crack codes to do historical research. We'll be right back. Here's what Pastor Bill Swirla had to say on a recent Issues Etc. broadcast about the new Lutheran Study Bible. What we've had in the past is kind of a Lutheran revision of an NIV Study Bible, so there's always a certain yes-but character to it. This is done by Lutheran theologians and Lutheran exegetes, and I think it's something that we can use confidently in our Bible studies and home devotions and other places. You can purchase the new Lutheran Study Bible online. Just look for the cover at our homepage, issuesetc.org. Here's a great resource for Sunday school teachers. Every Tuesday, we interview Deaconess Pam Nielsen of Concordia Publishing House about the upcoming Growing in Christ Sunday School lesson. You'll find these interviews under the on-demand page of our website, issuesetc.org. Listen to a 20-minute interview with Pam Nielsen, and you'll be prepared to teach Sunday school this weekend. Issuesetc.org. Click On Demand and look for Teaching a Sunday School Lesson with Deaconess Pam Nielsen. Issues Etc. online at issuesetc.org. Contending for truth in an age of anti-truth. You're listening to Issues Etc.
Noted author and history professor Dr. Paul Meyer on the uniqueness of Issues Etc. I'm delighted not only to listen to Issues Etc., but also to have the privilege of being on the program from time to time. Issues is never afraid to take a stand on the thorny, vexing issues that clutter our daily horizons. And it does so in the name of a solidly based Christianity that, that doesn't flirt with fads or fantasies. Whereas some Christian programs sidestep ethical and doctrinal questions in our day, issues take some head-on in a fearless, responsible, thoughtful manner. Both head and heart are involved when issues applies Holy Scripture. You can support the worldwide outreach of Issues Etc. by making a tax-deductible gift today. Donate online at issuesetc.org, or you can donate by check. Lutheran Public Radio, Box 912, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Thanks for your support. finds himself in these situations where he's uncovering ancient historical truths and having to decipher codes and puzzles to solve mysteries and that's that is a passion of mine codes puzzles history mysteries I think the the Freemasons have been described not as a secret society as a society with secrets right and and it's those secrets that hold the key to your fascination in part yeah In, in enormous part Matt Lauer and Dan Brown this morning on the Today Show talking about the novel Dan's latest, The Lost Symbol. We're talking about it with Dr. Ben Witherington this afternoon on Issues Etc. Our email address, talkback at issuesetc.org. Talkback at issuesetc.org. Twitter us at issuesetc or give us a call 1-877-623-6943. 1-877-623-MYIE. Dr. Witherington, you've mentioned before... Uh, the two historical novels that you've written, Lazarus Effect and Roman Numerals. Tell us a little bit about both of these books. Well, it's it's an interesting study in contrast with what uh, what Dan Brown is trying to do, not in terms of form, because I, as an English major, I write pretty much the same way that he does if I'm writing a thriller, short chapters, uh, plot twists, all that sort of stuff. The difference is this. I have three central characters in these novels. Art West, who is an evangelical Protestant archaeologist. Um, Grace Levine, who is a Jewish scholar who is an expert in Aramaic. And Khalil El Said, who is an antiquities dealer in Jerusalem. Now, these people are friends, and there are some things that they agree on. For example, monotheism. But they also are perfectly well aware that there are things they profoundly disagree on. And so what I'm talking about is how people who profoundly disagree, uh, how do they get along as friends? Well, they don't simply blend all their religions together and say, let's start a new religion all together. No, what they do is they respect each other, they listen to each other, and they have civil discourse with each other without one capitulating to the other. See, so these are the three central characters that are dealing with archaeological mysteries and historical mysteries in these novels. And uh, at the end of the day, Art West has uh, more of a say than these other two about what, in fact, is fact and how we ought to theologically interpret them. 
so that's what's going on in these novels. There are lots of remarkable archaeological discoveries. Uh, the first one is about the finding of Lazarus's actual tomb and a tombstone that in essence says died in 29 A.D. and then below that says died in 42 A.D. Now that ought to confuse some people. In other words, it implies that he was raised from the dead. And so this creates a huge uproar in Jerusalem, and then the stone is stolen, and it's sold to the British Museum, and et cetera, and we're off to the races. So what I'm trying to do is squeeze some actual history and some genuine theological reflection that comports with Christianity into readers of uh, historical fiction who are interested in such subjects, uh, doing some justice to the history and the theology, and at the same time promoting discourse and dialogue between people who have different points of view and even indeed are practitioners of different religions. Folks, you can purchase The Lazarus Effect and... Roman numerals at our website, issuesetc.org. Click on demand. Dr. Witherington, um, th- one of the things that I think people, maybe it may be a minor thing, but one of the things they may take away from reading these novels, you see people get their values from fiction and from mm-hmm. entertainment. Yep. They're watching Robert Langdon go around, and you get the impression that, uh, first of all, life is going to be a runaway you know, train all day long, and then... When he gets it in there to do his research, rather than kind of the nuts and bolts going through texts, reading established languages, uh, checking lexicons, things like that, um, mm-hmm. tracking down uh, uh, primary sources, he's cracking codes. He's solving right. riddles. He right. is finding secrets. Right. I mean, it really – does it do a, a fair representation to the actual, what, craft of history? <laughs> Well, that's a good question. Of course, there are some mysteries to history, and there are some secrets. But I will tell you, uh, in terms of archaeological work, most of it is is really bone-wearying and grindingly dull. You know, you're dusting, you're cleaning, you're carefully whisking things away, you're very carefully digging. Most of the work of uncovering history, whether you're researching texts or actually digging up the ground, that sort of stuff, is painstaking work that requires a lot of long hours. There are no real shortcuts most of the time. There's no sort of magic bullet or secrets that will suddenly make everything clear. Uh, it usually the, the light usually dawns through long, painstaking years of work and a, a sort of more comprehensive, broad perspective on what you're looking at. And uh, so, I mean, that's, you know, you, it's kind of like the old parable about the elephant, where five blind men were feeling an elephant, and one feels the tail and says, oh, an elephant's like a rope. And another feels the tusk and says, oh, an elephant's like a horn, and so on. Well, that's really the nature of studying ancient history when your sources are partial or archaeology. You, you begin to get a picture of things, and uh, you wait to draw conclusions until you see the whole more clearly. The problem with Dan Brown is he finds interesting facts here or there, and he tries to connect the dots way prematurely. And the end result is a new thing that doesn't do justice to either the dots or the connecting points. And, and of course, that's what you'd call uh, sort of prefab historical research. It's like having somebody else write your term paper for you or relying on cliff notes for the basis of a scholarly lecture. It just doesn't work. Uh, there are no shortcuts to getting at the truth about history and theology and religion and these sorts of things. And uh, only rarely does it involve what we would call secrets or codes. One of the things that concerns me is this 
fascination with the esoteric, with the secret, with the mysterious may find its way into a Christian's dealing with his own text, that is, uh, the Old and New Testament. And there has been no shortage of uh, ostensibly Christian treatments of these texts as though they contained some kind of secret code or some sort of a meta uh, narrative where people are called to read between the lines or every other word or something like that. And, you know, that's like... It's treating the Bible like ancient people treated magical formulae. I mean, to me, one of the most ridiculous things about all of that Bible code stuff is that it's based on, for example, the English, in various cases, on the English text of the Bible, which is not the original language it's written in. And sometimes it's based on the chapters and verses. Well, guess what? The Bible didn't have any enumeration of chapters and verses until... Bishop, uh, Archbishop Langston, in the early Middle Ages, with way too much time on his hands, gave the Bible chapters and verses. It didn't drop from the sky with chapters and verses. And uh, this word just in, the Hebrew text didn't originally have vowels. So you can't count vowels. It was just consonantal radicals, one after another after another. Uh, all of that stuff of treating the Bible like a Ouija board uh, does not do justice at all to the historical nature of the text and is just as bad as the kind of uh, amateurish stuff that you get in Dan Brown's novels. Finally, then, with only 30 seconds, as much as they may be page-turners, what's the danger of the writings of Dan Brown? 30 seconds. Well, here's what I would say. Um, You know, if you are not well-grounded in the Bible or your theology or whatever, I don't really recommend reading a novel like Angels and Demons or The Da Vinci Code. It's just going to further confuse you rather than clarify things in regard to the historical basis of Christianity. Uh, You know, if you're well-grounded in your faith, uh, you can read it and you'll be okay. But I will say, though, that he is a powerful rhetorician. And therefore, the rhetoric of our culture about relativism, universalism, and pluralism is such a powerful piece of rhetoric in our culture that if you don't watch yourself, it's possible to get sucked into it by reading his novels. Dr. Ben Witherington is professor of New Testament for doctoral studies at Asbury Theological Seminary in Wilmore, Kentucky. He's author of the book, The Gospel Code, Novel Claims About Jesus, Mary Magdalene, and Da Vinci, and two historical fiction books, The Lazarus Effect and Roman Numerals. Dr. Witherington, it's always a pleasure. Thank you for your time. My pleasure. Folks, you watched Dan Brown on NBC's Today Show this morning. We're responding to it this afternoon. If you appreciate the timely reaction, response, and commentary to the headlines in pop culture that you get with Issues Etc., please consider making a secure online contribution Two Issues Etc. today, issuesetc.org. That's our website. You can also donate by check. Make your check payable to Lutheran Public Radio and send it to LPR, Box 912, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. The address again, LPR, Box 912, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Tomorrow on Issues Etc., We'll discuss 3rd century bishop and martyr Cyprian of Carthage with Dr. Thomas von Hegel. That's tomorrow on Issues Etc. The danger of thinking that uh, there's a secret or there's a conspiracy, things are seldom that complicated. The most reasonable, simplest explanation is always, almost always, the best. 
So we don't read history this way. We certainly do not read the text wholly to us, the Old New Testament, in this way. This is not a secret, nothing secret in there about the Savior that was sent to us. And the Savior says to us in no uncertain terms, against the tremendous, almost overwhelming tide of postmodern ideas that want to mash all religions together in one, Jesus says, no, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. I'm Todd Wilkin. Talk with you again tomorrow. Thanks for listening to Issues Etc. Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc. Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Lutheran Public Radio, P.O. Box 912, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 912, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc. is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio.